0: And so what that means is in order to actually have to, true wealth and perpetuating wealth that you could hand off to your children you would really need land in an agrarian society and where they farmed and and Joseph apparently did not have that else he would not have been as flexible as he was with the trip to Bethlehem the move to Egypt and then back toward Nazareth and so you, you got to understand that that he's not a he's not a wealthy man he's probably you know, for the time, fairly blue collar, but that's a, probably a whole lot more poverty in that than you and I are accustomed to. So I, I just want you to realize that when God, at, when God basically calls Joseph to be the stepdad to his son, that there are some challenges. This isn't just, I mean, it, it's a lot like you. I mean, you have to figure out how to pay the bills and follow Jesus, raise the kids and follow Jesus, manage your health and follow Jesus. You know what I mean? And so Joseph is, is pretty much in the same situation uh, where he's at. So Jesus was not raised in a very rich, powerful family. It's just very normal, very, a lot of poverty there. And then on top of that, you take Joseph's situations and you, you add to it, just like your life, you add to it the politics, the taxes, the oppression. The Israelites at this time in history are oppressed by Rome. And and they're being ruled, they're being ruled harshly. And Joseph is the dad who's got to figure out how to be a stepdad to God's son on earth, pay the bills, feed the family, and deal with oppressive government rulers, deal with politics. In fact, the reason Jesus is born in Bethlehem is, yes, because God said he would be, but how that happened was God knew that there would be a tax come up. The IRS was going to demand to Bethlehem. You're like, there was no IRS. Yeah, yeah, the Israeli Revenue Service. <laughs> <clears throat> just kidding. The other thing I want you to see today as we get into Joseph's story is the cultural expectations that he's having to deal with. So I grew up in the 70s and 80s, you know, a kid in the 70s, teenager in the 80s, the last time they made good music, and uh, hey, yeah. just checking, just checking. Uh just messing with the younger generation actually. So, um, but you know, my life compared to my parents' life was easy. I mean, my parents grew up in the fifties and sixties and they, they grew up in an agrarian, they were both in sharecropper families. So if you're thinking wealthy people, you're not thinking about sharecroppers. Okay. And so, uh, my parents grew up in the 50s and 60s, and so my life in the 70s and 80s during stagflation and all that stuff was much easier than my parents' childhood and teenage years. And then my children, their, their life was easier than mine. I mean, they, they, they had an easier time getting jobs. They were just a lot of, of just things that were a little easier for them that were for me. And so you go back, and, and so the times are different each generation. That's kind of what every generation wants. We want our kids to do better than we did, and they want their kids to do better than they did, and so forth. But I also grew up in the South. In the South, there are cultural expectations everywhere. And I'm sure there are in in communities in, in the West as well. But in the South, it's uh, it can be a tad brutal. <clears throat> and you never know what anybody's saying. I mean, people say, well, bless your heart. That is not what they mean. <laughs> it's not what they mean. It's not good when they say that. Just... Just bow your head and pray and leave. I mean, just get out. Especially if it's a board of deacons, but that's another story I don't want to talk about right now. Excuse me. So um, my point is there's cultural expectations. And when you defy those cultural expectations, there are cultural punishments for those. Gossip chains, uh, humiliation, you know, difficulties. I mean, when I was a teenager, I made some bad choices and offended me Culturally from things, from jobs, from houses we wanted to rent because I was known and knew that I had done some dumb things. I know that's hard to imagine, but I did. And so there were cultural ramifications for that. The same with Joseph. Joseph lives in a culture that has expectations. Okay, People expect you to live with a certain norm, a certain propriety. So my point is, is that what Joseph's going through is not unknown to us. But at the same time, we need to connect with it and, and know that this isn't just a, a Christmas story and it's romantic and silent night and light the candle and ooh. <laughs> this is a real deal. Real people are being affected by real things in a real society, with in a real culture. And, and, so you, th- and the whole Bible's this way, by the way. If you read the Bible looking for just a spiritual um feeling or whatever, you're going to miss the realities, and when you miss the realities, you miss the power of the miracles. Okay? And so there's a lot of things here. So this is what uh, Joseph has to deal with: these cultural expectations, the poverty, the situation, the oppression, all this kind of stuff. And so we're going to take from his life today and learn how Joseph handled it. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, we already read it, but let me read it again. Says this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. So, a couple things I want to point out. Marriage in that day and age did not work like it does today. It was inverted. What that means is, is that Joseph would have asked for Mary's hand in marriage. They probably would have made it some kind of trade, you know, some sheep, some cows, some lumber. I don't know, you know. And I know Mary was awesome, so it, it, I'm sure it was a lot of sheep and a lot of cows. I don't know, but there was a trade. And you, for you who don't understand this cultural thing, uh, there was some, even though it may seem unfair, you should marry for love. Uh, I, one of the things this culture, this is a Michael Maynard moment, so just bear with me. Uh, one of the things this culture did was it established value of the bride right away. Yeah. She's worth a lot from the beginning. And if I could just get on my little soapbox right now, uh, you young men, please, uh, if, if you're going to pursue a woman, she should be valuable and you should tell her and you should express that at every point. Right. Don't, don't, don't even marry a woman that's not valuable Okay, so <laughs> back out of that, all right, so anyway, but as soon as that happened, they were legally married now they weren 't they didn 't have the you know the the intimacy benefits of marriage like fighting every day yet. you thought I was going another direction didn 't you <laughs> naughty, naughty. <laughs> Uh, so what would happen is they'd make, this, they'd make this trade and there would be this agreement and they were legally married. It would be on average about a year before the marriage actually became a ceremony and they did the things that married people do, like steal the covers from each other in the middle of the night or you know, those romantic things. And so, that, so for, they had not consummated the marriage yet. And so when Mary's pregnant and she's still a virgin, he can't just walk away like a fiancé could. He has to legally divorce her. Okay, that's it's a different culture. So you probably should wrap your head around that. It's it's a little bit more serious than that. Uh, what I want you to see about Joseph is just the kindness that Joseph expresses. I mean, we've many of you have heard the Christmas story your whole lives. The idea of a virgin giving birth to the Christ, it, it does not shock you at this point, and it really should. It really should be shocking. And so when Mary, and I, I don't care how sweet, innocent, kind, considerate, serving Mary is, when she goes to Joseph and says, hey, guess what? I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. There's no way on earth Joseph's just going to walk into that and say, okay, babe, whatever you say, that's not going to happen, okay? You've you got to understand that. It's easy to believe after a lifetime of, of going to Christmas uh, services and, and knowing the story, but a virgin having a child... That's weird. That, that's hard. Okay? So, Joseph, to his credit, does not implode or explode. You know what I'm saying? I, isn't that kind of a miracle? I mean, there are some miracles in the world that that seem like they're not, but this is a huge one. He doesn't just implode. In fact, he, he expresses toward Mary... Just an unbelievable amount of kindness, and he's going to do this in a way that saves her dignity as much as can be saved, because they're in a culture, Joseph didn't believe it. How do you think the neighbors are going to feel? How do you think, what do you think the culture around Joseph and Mary is going to think when they find out what's going on? You see what I mean? So there's a lot of conundrums, but you see that Joseph expresses a great deal of kindness toward Mary. So here's what I want you to learn before we go any further. Well, first I want you to see kindness, and we'll talk about kindness a little bit. Before we dip into that, I want you to see that God has a way of doing things that are a little bit unbelievable. What I'd like to do is at least get your faith up to Old Testament faith. I'd like to upgrade your faith to at least Old Testament faith. Have you read the Old Testament any at all? I mean, do you know some of the stories, the story of creation, the story of Babel, Noah and the ark, that's a great thing to put on the nursery wall. (sighs) What are those little sticks on the rock? People drowning, son. (sighs) And you're like, well, that's why we don't read it. Those are very uncomfortable stories. I know, and I understand that, but they're also very important. But there are also stories about giants being slain. Supernatural armies that win battles. Armies that don't fight and win battles, who win battles by worshiping. People being raised from the dead. Uh, Miracles. The three years with no rain, and then a prophet prays and rain comes. Uh, Fire from heaven. I mean, there's just all these very cool, very true, miraculous stories. Miraculous stories in the Old Testament. So the average believer today doesn't really believe in the miraculous. Okay, I'll correct that. They believe that there is miraculous, but it will never happen for them. That's what they believe. And so what I would like to do is I'd like to at least get us to an Old Testament faith that opens the window on the possibility that God does unbelievable things sometimes. And in the Christmas story, the Christmas story should basically set the curve for the rest of your faith. It's just, why? Because it starts with angels making announcements and, and, uh, to people. Angels showing up and telling people stuff. And as Steve pointed out earlier, there were laundry consequences to that situation. That was a funny way to say it. I don't know why you didn't laugh. <laughs> and so God has a way of doing things that are unbelievable. And so We tend to come at the Bible, and and I don't want to ever, I don't want to be dismissive of logic and reason. They're very important, and they are also a gift from God. However, you also have to make room for God's miraculous moves, God's power, God to do what God wants to do. And this is very important as a Christian. Paul put it this way. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, chapter 2, verse 13, he says, When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. We don't use logic, reason. We don't use the Greek tools for comprehension. Uh, Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths but when people who aren't spiritual can't re- but people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit if all it all sounds foolish to them the bible sounds foolish to them these, these miracles sound foolish to them and they can't understand it for only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means and i think joseph's situation captures the complexity of the issue you have real things going on financial problems, uh, cultural problems, political problems, and then you have supernatural things also going on that are just as real because God's moving and God's at work. So expand, let's begin by expanding your faith to include things you don't understand. How's that? That's a simple way to put it, right? Let's include the things you don't understand. Michael, is this important? Only if you want to actually believe the Bible... Only if you really want to live in some kind of uh, agreement and acceptance and comprehension of God's the scriptures that we have. Uh, if you don't need those, then you can just believe in the natural and you'll be uh, lonely. Uh, anyway, so I'm just messing around a little bit. Uh, so David, Joseph opens this window of kindness on Mary. He's going to try and leave her dignity intact. You know he knows what's going to happen when people start to find out. And he's trying to do this with as much kindness as possible. And that's when an angel shows up. Can we admit that an angel showing up to talk to you is weird? Like if, if someone you were working with tomorrow walked up to you and said, man, dude, I was drinking my coffee this morning, and an angel sat down across from me, told me to give you 100 bucks. First, you'd say, where's my hundred? (laughs) And then you would say, I don't know what happened to you, but I don't believe you. Okay, but thanks for the hundred. Okay. So I just want to do that. So there's an angel here, Matthew one twenty. And as Joseph's thinking about this, he's considering this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, in a dream. The Bible says in Joel that your, the, the coming of the new covenant, that your old men will have visions and your young men will see dreams. I'm always getting those inverted, but anyway. Somebody's dreaming, someone's visioning. So Joseph has a dream, and the angel comes to him in the dream, and the, and the angel says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, and he'll save his people from their sins. So here you have this angelic visitation. The Christian faith starts with angel meetings. It starts with angel meetings. It's very important. And so Joseph, now, because of this meeting, actually, because Joseph chose kindness and dignity over shame and rejection, he gets to step into this window of God's plan. He gets to participate with God in the coolest thing that ever has and ever will happen, the bringing of Jesus Christ into the world. So I just want you to see that a little bit of kindness opened a doorway for an amazing opportunity. Now, obviously, God knew this about Joseph, right? I mean, God knows a couple of things. Not as much as you, but he knows a lot. Michael, you're poking fun, just a little. And so, obviously, God knew this. But here's Joseph presented with this situation. And I just, I love how he receives this gift, how he steps into it, how you know it could not be easy for him to understand. But out of a dream and an angel visit in that dream, he decides he's going to do for Mary what her society would never do for her. His kindness gave him an opportunity to do for Mary what no one else would do for her, her to understand to walk with her through this? Isn't that what kindness is? Taking a minute to understand? Isn't, isn't kindness walking with people rather than walking away from them? Yeah. So I want you to see that Joseph, he's an ordinary dude. There's nothing special about Joseph. He's just a guy, like all of you guys in this room, he makes a living, he pays his bill as he tries to take care of his family. And, and and he takes a moment and all he does is he's kind and he get, he's willing to give someone their dignity. And in doing that, Holy Spirit, God the Father, step into the middle of his life and give him an amazing opportunity to be the stepdad to the Son of God. I think that's really beautiful. So I want you to see his kindness. We'll come back to kindness in, in the end. I want you to see that he expressed it, that he obeyed it walked into it i also want you to see his persistence this is not an easy thing that god's asked joseph to do so and the bible says in luke chapter 2 verse 4 and because joseph was a descendant of king david and he had to go to bethlehem and judea this is for paying taxes david's ancient home he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, <clears throat> he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. So, yeah, I want you to see his his kindness, but I also want you to see his faithfulness and his persistence. That Joseph, um, when God asks you to do something, that doesn't mean that the thing He asks you to do is going to be an easy thing to do, right? Did you know that your life is not the culmination of your exceptions, but of your consistencies? Do you understand that? I mean, I think we know that because, listen, if it were a a product of my exceptions, I'd weigh 150 pounds, or I'd be 180 pounds, I'd be a ripped piece of gristle. Because I'm working out like once a month. (laughs) Hard. I mean, real hard. Trying to get a month's worth of workouts into one, and so... You see what I'm saying, right? Your life is a product of the things you're willing to do poorly until you can do them well. Say, well, wow, what? You, what about the losers in life? You have to practice to even be a loser. Seriously, the addict did not become an, a professional addict right away. It took time to learn how to do that. They, they worked at destroying their life. Okay, and and uh, and so. The point is, is that we're our life's a product of these consistent things, and faithfulness is what paves the way to the kingdom of God. Faithfulness is what paves the way, and and it works that way in your faith, in your church, uh, in your business, in our community. It's the things that people faithfully do that build things. I am. Uh, we learned this when we, when we first started ordinary faith. We were mainly in home groups, and we would meet. We only met like this twice a month, the second and fourth Sunday. I called it the 2 before. You're like, that's dumb, Michael. I know, I'm good at dumb, and so I just roll with it. And, uh, but, you know, so what, would, what happens when you meet only on two Sundays a month? No one can remember what Sunday it is. No matter how clever your acronym, they, no one can remember. So the, the weeks you're meeting, everyone thinks it's another week. And the weeks you're not meeting, they're all standing at the door trying to get in. And so, faith, you know, faithfulness consistently, you, you know, we're going to, in fact, last summer, we moved the church a couple of times. It threw some people off in a big way. Some of you are just back today. You were mad all fall <laughs> because we we were gone Labor Day and we're at the park the Sunday before that. And you're like, I'm not going back until I know where they are. And I get it, you know, faithfulness. And, and so the kingdom is built on that. Churches are built on that. Your life is built on that. And so if you think about it, here's David. I mean, here's Joseph. I don't know why I keep calling him David. I guess because he's the great, 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 great grandson of David. But uh, here he is. He's got a plan for his life. He's going to get married, have a carpenter business. Everything's going to be great. And then God shows up, totally ruins his plans, changes everything. The government shows up, further ruins his plans because that's what they do. I'm sorry. That was me. Sorry. And... Uh, <laughs> And what does, David, what does Joseph do? He just faithfully keeps stepping into it. He just keeps taking the next step because that's what faithfulness is. You take the next step. You do the next thing. God, you want me to be the stepdad of your son? Okay, I'll do it. I'll take Mary. I'll walk, walk with her. Oh, the government wants me to travel to Bethlehem on a donkey with my nine-month pregnant wife. Okay, I guess that's what I'm going to do then. Oh, I don't have family in Bethlehem anymore. There's nowhere to stay here in Bethlehem. And we're sleeping in a barn tonight. Okay, I guess that's what we're going to do. And you keep taking those steps and you're faithful to do those things. And that's what Joseph did. That's what he teaches us. And and it kept going. The wise guys showing up. That's what I call them. You guys ever, I'm sorry, I should not do this. I don't have time, but I'm doing it anyway. So you, you guys ever hear the story about the, the guy who was driving past a church down in Texas somewhere, and there was a nativity out there. And they're looking at the nativity, and there's Mary, and Joseph, and the baby Jesus, and three firemen. The guy's like, what? Three firemen? Stops, goes, knocks on the church door. Pastor comes out, says, hey man, uh, I get Mary, Joseph, baby What's up with the three firemen? And the pastor looks and says, well, son, the Bible says they came from afar. <sighs> you can only tell that joke if you're from the South. I'm You've got to have a certain banjo in the back end to get it off. The wise men showing up was a nice thing. It helped them financially, but right after that, they had to run to Egypt for their lives, and then after Egypt, they had to come back to Nazareth. And then, then they—well, I'll come back to what happened after that in just a minute. My point is is that Joseph was faithful, and here's why he was faithful. Here's how he was able to be faithful: vision and purpose. Vision and purpose. He had a dream. And in the dream, the angel said, I want you to stay with Mary, and I want you to raise this child. That's a vision and a purpose for your life that came from God. And I think the best visions and the strongest visions that go the farthest are the ones that come from God. Now, I'm not going to say that you couldn't have a vision and a purpose for a business or something like that, and, and, and it go far. You certainly can if you can commit to that. But I do believe that the church is coming to a time in history where we're supposed to take the ideas of divine vision and purpose into the marketplace and take the kingdom of God there and carry him out. And so, but anyway, so this persistence is empowered by this idea of vision and purpose. He had the voice of the angel from his dreams. The crazy shepherd story. I mean, can you imagine what that's like? You're in a barn, you're miserable, your wife just had a baby. She's probably not happy, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> she may not love you anymore. Um, <clears throat> and then all of a sudden these shepherds show up and they begin telling them about the angels themselves. And I used a word last week that I'm, I'm going to use some because I, I want you to, to attach some new definitions to it and uh, to attach some meaning to it. It was prophetic what they did. Prophetic, in what way, Michael? How is it prophetic? That word scares me. It's prophetic because they heard from angels who had been in the presence of God. So they, by extension, they had heard from God and they're sharing from God to Mary and Joseph what they had been shared with them. That's what the prophetic is. It's You, you share spiritual stuff with people. That's It's not complex, not weird. Well, it's a little weird, but you know, it is. And so, there's this, because of this speaking into Joseph, the angels, the prophets, the wise men, uh, another angel dream where God tells him to get out of there and get into Egypt, Uh, what happened with Simeon and Anna, which we'll get into next week, um, he just had all of these messages from heaven speaking into his life, and that's what empowered His faithfulness. Michael, what does this have to do with me? For we, for you, for me, for I, are His, God's, creative work, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so we can do them. God has a purpose and a vision for your life. God has a purpose and a vision for your life. And in in a sense, it's going to be a lot like Joseph's because Joseph's job was to get Jesus into his world. And that's your job too. God has something in your life that he wants to say to the world. God has something in your life that he wants to show the world there's a passage in one of paul's letters that talks about us being god's letters to the world and you are you have purpose and vision not because you dreamed up purpose and vision for your life but because you have a father in heaven who has a purpose and a vision for your life that's how you're faithful you can't be faithful to someone else's purpose and vision you have to be faithful to the vision god has in your life. So, we we learn that it, it's <clears throat> excuse me, that I'm going to cough a few times. But anyway, we learn that Joseph shows kindness and it opens a doorway for him, but we also see that Joseph practices faithfulness, that he keeps persisting and he keeps doing what god called him to do. So before I move on to the last point, I want to say to many of you who have exercised and pressed into faithfulness over the last many years, uh, and I'm going to say this specifically in relationship to ordinary faith, I just want to thank you for all the chairs you've set up, (laughs) all the babies' noses you've wiped, trash you've changed, all the sanitizing we've done over the last 18 months, oh my gosh. I want to thank you for all the hugs, all the handshakes, all the people you've made welcome All the dollars you've given to make sure we could keep functioning. I just want to say thank you for your faithfulness. Because without your faithfulness, we would not be here. Thank you. Thank you. Now, the last thing I want to do is have a little fun. Now, you probably didn't know I like to have fun, but I do. Joseph was kind. Joseph was faithful, and how I really wanted to write this point was Joseph knew how to party, but I, I guess that would probably be taken out of context, so we'll use the word celebrate. Joseph knew how to celebrate. The Bible says in Luke 2, 41, every year, Jesus' parents, every year, Jesus' parents, every year, Mary and Joseph, every year, the broke couple, Every year, the family in poverty, the one who had had to figure out how to move to Bethlehem, to Egypt, back to Nazareth, every year they went to Jerusalem. Every year they made a point to go to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. They were poor, but this was important. What was important? It was important to celebrate what God had done. You see, the Passover was about God freeing the nation of Israel from Egypt. And here, they're the parents of God's Son, who's about to free the world from an Egypt of sorts, of sin and death. And so every year, Mary, Joseph, pack up all the kids, they go, and they had. A, there were more that came after Jesus. If you didn't know that, it was a pretty big family. Bigger than yours, I'm pretty sure. And uh, they... <laughs> They went, they, they went to Jerusalem, and, and they, they had Passover, which, yes, of course, was a sober night because it remembered where the nation of Israel was. But it was celebration after the Sabbath, which is just like Jesus. Wow, that's good. I'm sorry, I've got to come back to that at Easter. Let me make a note, come back to this at Easter. Okay, it's not time right now. They were remembering what God had done uh, for the nation of Israel, so they began to celebrate that and rejoice in that. They began to go, I'm sure they re- remembered all the prophetic words they'd received from the angels from Anna from Simeon from the shepherds from all these different from Elizabeth from Mary even i'm sure they rehearsed exactly why they were or where they were in life because god had been doing some things in them and so forth so they they went back to jerusalem every year and celebrated those kinds of ideas and so much so they had they apparently had so much fun one year that they lost Jesus. Wouldn't that have been weird? I mean poor Joe. Yeah, that's right. They left Jesus in the home alone. That's exactly right. He was in the temple, like setting traps for all the Pharisees. It was great. Oh man, there's a Christian movie right there. Read, you should sell that idea. That's good. So, yeah, I mean, can you imagine that conversation with, with Joseph? Like, hey, uh, God, uh, your one and only son, uh, you got another one? <laughs> uh, so, the point is, they, they, they had a lot of fun and they, um, joy is the word I want to use here. They learned to have joy because we need to learn, we need to learn that escape and amusement aren't as restful as we think. They're not pathways into joy. Pathways into joy are remembering and connecting. Remembering what God has done, remembering how you're blessed, expressing gratitude, and connecting with people around you, which was what the culture of the Jewish culture was like in that day and age. So I want to encourage you to learn how to have joy. Why? I don't think things are going to get easier going forward. I hope I'm wrong. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. Um, But I took an economics class in high school. (laughs) And I don't have a lot of hope for things improving in some ways, in some areas. But I do have a lot of hope for things improving, relationally, in connection, spiritually. And so I, I just want to teach, I want us all to learn... We can have joy, and it doesn't matter what's going on around us. We can have joy in spite of things that are happening around us. Michael, how do you do that? Well, I think you begin by changing the way you process your experiences. What do you mean? Well, here's how I process my experiences. I get out, I'm going to hop in my car, and I'm going to go to a meeting, that I have to be there in 10 minutes because that's how I roll. And I have a flat on the car. All right, I'm not going to make my meeting. And so, how am I going to process this? Well, I'll tell you how Michael processes things. I'm the pastor, you know, I'm supposed to set the example. I immediately start griping. <laughs> yeah, I dive in the griping pool, Psh, clothes and all. Oh, I can't believe this happened to me. Then, I, then there's the whining. Lord, how did you let this happen to me? It's your fault. Griping, whining. Then I call my wife and let, I share the joy, I, I'm a sharer. <laughs> Excuse me. Honey, you're not going to believe this. I have a flat on the car. I'm going to be laboring my points. Wah, 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 wah. She's a very, very loving wife. And she goes, would you like some cheese with that wine you got going on over there? <laughs> I'm just suggesting that maybe we're processing our circumstances wrong. Maybe we're processing it with griping and complaining and and worry. And we're worshiping through those things, things that are not good, that are darkness, that are that are uh, breaking us down. Here's a guy in the Bible that wrote this. Paul wrote, Always be full of the joy of the Lord. Always be full of the joy of the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. You're like, well, it's easy for Paul to say because you don't know anything about Paul. (laughs) (sighs) He probably wrote that in a Roman prison. Probably had to knock rats off the paper he was writing on so he could write it down with a bad pen like a Bick or something like that. My point is, is that in a prison, Paul had more joy than the average American ever experiences in their lifetime. Why? Because he was choosing to experience his life differently than we are. He's not choosing to process it with complaining and whining and griping. He's choosing to process it with the goodness of God, the sovereignty of God, knowing that God's going to work everything out in his life for Paul's favor. He's processing it with joy. And so rather than choosing to sit in that jail and whine, as Michael would have done, honestly, everybody knows me knows exactly what I would have been done. He, if we have any uh, reference to uh, <coughs> Paul and Silas, he chose joy, and he was probably just singing some loud worship songs badly, because I don't think Paul could sing. That's just my theory, but I don't know. But Maybe he sang great, but, just, but he... he He chose joy. So I want to tell you that. I want to share that with you. We can choose joy. We can base our lives not on our circumstances, but on the things we've been given. Most of you in this room have placed your faith in Christ, and you believe, and you're saved. That's awesome. That's a miracle. That's the greatest miracle ever. It's the best beginning ever, but it is the beginning. But it's the best beginning ever, okay? That, that's amazing that God would save us, that God would do all that. Isn't that wonderful? But that's not all. He doesn't just save us, He like... He brings us out of the world. We're a bunch of messy, dirty, nasty orphans. And he brings us into his household and he cleans us all up. And he adopts us and makes us his sons and daughters and puts us in the family business. This is our identity. This is what God has done for us with this, that, that simple moment of reflection, repentance, and trusting in Jesus Christ started this cascade of events that changed your eternity, Takes everything. And then Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I wonder how many spiritual blessings there are in heavenly places. <laughs> See what I'm saying? If we begin to process our lives in light of what God has done to us for us, instead of in light of what has happened to us, it's easier to have joy. I'm so sorry bad things happened to you. I'm so sorry that the relationships in your life have broken. I'm so I really am. I'm so sorry that finances have been tough and that your health hasn't been what you thought it would be, and that your life isn't turning out as you planned in sixth grade in that notebook with a unicorn on it in that class. I'm sorry, I really am. I wish, I do wish it had been better. But God really, really loves you. God really wants you close to Him and in relationship with you. God has done everything for you. And yes, your 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, whatever you get on this planet, they could be hard. But I promise you this, and this was how the first church looked at it, the second you get past your funeral, the second you get past your funeral, It gets way better, and it stays better for eternity. You understand? There will come a day, I know this is hard to believe, this is going to be hard to believe, but there will come a day in your future where you will not even remember this blink of an eye that you lived on this planet. I know that's hard to believe. Some of you are like, Michael, I've had had so many horrible things happen in my life. I get it, and I promise you they are going to fade into nothing eventually this is the promise of jesus this is why we follow christ we don't follow christ so he'll make us rich and successful it's nice if it happens but if it doesn't it doesn't mean he doesn't love you we follow christ because we know this life is hard bad things happen evil men do evil things and as soon as we get past our funeral the party starts michael i don't know if jesus parties oh jesus parties Read Revelation. No other pastor called it a party before. Well, he's not me. (laughs) Kindness. Persistence and joy. That's what Joseph taught us. The the guy we barely remember from the story. We said, Well, yeah, he was Jesus' dad. But you look at his life a little more closely. And you learn that he wasn't just a, a stepdad guy filling a spot. He was a guy with some real character. Some real love for God. Who raised God's son. And empowered and enabled our salvation through his faithfulness. So, I don't know if you can reach yours, but in front of, on your seat, and hopefully you didn't sit on it, there's a communion cup. I know you know what, I just shut that and I'm going to need that slide, guys. There it is, thank you. So, uh, communion is uh, something that Jesus told us to do. I'll read you the text where he tells us to do it together. Actually, I'm reading another text, so maybe I won't read that. But, um, this thing opens in two parts if you've never done this with us before. Uh, there's a, a cellophane wrap that comes off and it gets you to the wafer and then the foil comes off and it gets you to the juice. I want to read a text and then we'll take it together. We'll actually stand to take it together but let me read this first and say a couple words. <clears throat> Jesus took some bread and he blessed it and then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples. He said, take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine, and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And they sang a hymn, and they went out to the mountain, to the Mount of Olives. Communion reminds us of things. That's His purpose, to remind us. To remind us that God is kind. That God sent His Son in the ultimate act of kindness. It reminds us that Jesus was also kind and patient, and that He sacrificed everything for us. It reminds us that God's persistent; that God pursued us from from before the time that Adam made his awful mistake. That God, that Jesus persisted when things were difficult, when uh, when no one would accept Him, when the leaders rejected Him, and He endured it all for the joy. He did it all for joy. He says so. In Hebrews, Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus did it all for the joy that was set before him, a joy of a restored family of God. It reminds us to be joyful because we've been given so much and we have so much to look forward to. I mean, our lot in life may be challenging, but it is going to be short. And your place in heaven, your place in the family, is eternal.